Welcome to episode 104 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, usually your pack is lighter on the way home but not on our most recent trip, and we'll tell you why. Then, on today's Summit Gear Review, what do you get when you mix the coverage of an underquilt with the structure of a sleeping pad? Next, on the Backpack Hack of the Week, three tent stakes might be your ultralight solution for leaving your stove at home. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from a mononymous French philosopher. All this... And that's about it today on the first 40 miles. If you were following us over the summer, you know that we were really excited to get ready for a backpacking trip to the Wallawas in Northeast Oregon. Part of why we were so excited was because last fall, when we were going to do that trip, the weather forecast turned and also there was a fire, a wildfire watch. We ended up cutting that plan and going to the Redwoods in Northern California. So we were really excited this year to actually make it to the Wallawas. And guess what? We didn't make it. Uh, This year, the weather was okay. No forest fires. I just had a work-related conference all week, the same week that our backpacking group was going to the Wallawas. So that's why I was in Albuquerque for the week. (laughs) But we missed this trip that we were so excited about with our backpacking group. And I guess I could have gone on my own, but... Honestly, backpacking is way more fun with you, so... It is fun together. I mean, we, we love backpacking together. In spite of what we said in the couples episode at the beginning <laughs> of September. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we might have given people the wrong impression, but we do love backpacking together. And the fact that we missed this trip left us really hungry for getting back out. The thing I was really looking forward to about the Wallawas was that we would be up in kind of a high alpine lakes basin. So I was just craving that scenery. I get lots of low elevation hiking, you know, here in the woods of Oregon, but I wanted to get up high. Our friend Joe was also going to go on the Wallawas trip, but because of work, he couldn't make it either. So the week after the Wallawas trip, he got this great idea that our families should get together and go up to Mount Jefferson. And it sounded like the perfect opportunity. Joe and Nancy have four kids. We have four kids. It was a five-mile hike, and we'd been watching the weather for that week, and things looked like they were going to work out really nicely. Like, we were going to have just a really great weekend. There was no school on Thursday or Friday because of parent-teacher conferences. Yeah, it's taken us a while, but just recently we figured out that we can skip parent-teacher conferences and go backpacking. Shh. Oh, don't say Gave that. away our secret. That was going to be our backpack hack of the week this week. <laughs> so the place we chose is called Jefferson Park, and it really is park-like. We looked at all these pictures on the internet that just looked completely amazing with Mount Jefferson in the background and just beautiful, amazing scenery. It was alpine like I was wanting and only a couple hours away from our home to get to the trailhead. So that Thursday morning, we headed out in two minivans with 12 people. And Joe's family brought a Chihuahua Corgi mix. 
which is a chorgi. I think it's so cute when they mash up two dog names and it makes a cuter dog name. And with 12 people and one dog, we headed out on the trail. So today for our top five list, we want to share the top five memorable moments from our backpacking trip to Jefferson Park. The number one memorable moment from our backpacking trip was the breathtaking moment when the mountain appeared. We didn't see Mount Jefferson on the drive. Uh, We didn't see it from the trailhead. In fact, I'd kind of forgotten that we'd even be near a two-mile-high dormant volcano. But as we were hiking down the trail, maybe two to three miles in, we looked off to the right, and there was Mount Jefferson. And it was powerful and beautiful and amazing. And there was snow on the top and there was kind of mist coming in and it was perfectly framed by the trees that were on the edge of the trail. I mean, it was literally a breathtaking moment. We all just stood there and we're like, wow. And we got to hike along next to Mount Jefferson for maybe a half a mile or so. And every time we looked over, it was that same feeling like, oh, wow, this is just incredible. I don't know how many shades of white there are. And that's kind of what I thought of when I think of that picture we saw. Well, not picture. I mean, it was the real real thing (laughs) that we saw Mount Jefferson and it had fresh snow from that very morning. And so just the purity of the white snow on top of Mount Jefferson. And then it was cloudy that day and we had these gray clouds behind the mountain and almost a sort of ghosty feel like everything was monochrome just shades of white oh yeah it was beautiful because mount jefferson is a stratovolcano it's a little more steep or conical i guess and it has these layers of hardened lava and pumice and volcanic ash and i don't know what tephra is but there's layers of tephra in there but it's just a really classic volcano shape and very dramatic. I guess the other two famous stratovolcanoes that you probably have heard of are Krakatoa and Vesuvius. And um, also Mount St. Helens is one, Mount Pinatubo. So this type of mountain is famous for its explosive eruptions, just these, you know, earth-shattering, earth-cracking eruptions. Uh, We didn't get anything like that when we were watching Mount Jefferson, but, you know, Probably a good thing. Even though the likelihood of an eruption is like really low. And besides with seismic monitoring, nowadays we would know if Mount Jefferson was getting near eruption time. So even though that's the case, there is some kind of feeling you get (laughs) when you are at the base of such a large volcano and it is just towering over you and you realize how small you are and how powerful that volcano is. Even though you know it's not going to erupt today, but you imagine it could. Yeah, just hiking next to a volcano. It's kind of exciting. Well, the number two memorable moment from our backpacking trip to Jefferson Park was seeing the snowfall. About a quarter mile from camp, it started to snow, and this was totally unexpected. The weather report said that it would probably snow the morning that we were hiking in, and it wasn't really going to be cold enough to stick. And so we figured, oh, it would snow, we'd get there, there wouldn't be any evidence of the snow. But as we were coming into camp, it was silent and the snow started to fall and it was just this really 
I don't know, you get that childlike sense of wonder and reverence at the same time when it snows. It's just so beautiful. And we were actually really grateful that it snowed when we were coming into camp because that gave us a chance to set up our tents and get the little tarp that we brought set up without being drenched with rain. Just maybe 20 minutes after we set up our tents, it started to rain. And so because of the snow that fell, we all stayed dry for the night. And it never stopped raining. (laughs) So we were definitely grateful for that little extra reprieve of snow as we got into camp to get things set up. And while it was snowing, it really was completely silent. There was no wind. The snow was falling straight down. But as soon as it started to rain, the wind kicked up and it was just a blustery, rainy night. The number three memorable moment from our backpacking trip to Jefferson Park, and this is kind of a personal one for me, it was watching my 14-year-old son help his sister cross the creek. I was maybe 20 yards back, and I got to watch this little mini moment of chivalry happen, and it made me think about the leadership opportunities that the trail provides. And most of the time, the kids were way down the trail. I mean, literally miles ahead of us. So I was grateful that I was able to witness that little that little moment. The number four memorable moment of our backpacking trip to Jefferson Park was painting in the tent. Once it started to rain, I realized that I probably wouldn't be leaving the tent for a while. And so I got out my watercolors and a pen and decided to sketch not nature, but something that's a part of almost every backpacking trip that we go on. That is a crumpled bag of peanut M&Ms. In the last few months, we've taken a lot of inspiration from a book by Danny Gregory called Art Before Breakfast. We're probably going to talk about it a little more on an upcoming episode, but he encourages you to just try art. Art with a lowercase a. You don't have to be schooled in art. And to just draw the everyday things around you. Draw your breakfast. Or, in the case of a backpacking trip, it's sitting in your tent and drawing what you see right in front of you, even if that means it's a crumpled bag of M&Ms. And what's amazing is it just comes out looking really cool. Yeah, it's funny because I really did want to give back and sketch the mountain, you know, maybe hike a few miles back the next morning and spend some time capturing that gorgeous scene of Mount Jefferson. But because of the rain, I knew I wouldn't be able to do that, and I just sketched what was in front of me. And... When you take time to create art, it does this really cool time warp thing where it stops time. And when you look at your drawing, like days, weeks, months later, all of a sudden it takes you to that moment. And you can remember almost everything about that exact moment, how you were feeling, what it smelled like, what temperature it was, you know, the humidity in the room. Everything comes flooding back to you because you slowed down time. And I think that's a really cool, um, I guess, a cool power to have when you're on the trail. Already the trail slows down time, but to even slow it down more and to notice every single thing around you and to uh, turn that into some kind of little drawing or sketch, um, it's very fulfilling. The number five memorable moment from our Jefferson Park backpacking trip was watching the boys building a bridge. As we came into camp the first evening, we had to cross a little creek that was coming out of Scout Lake, and we got two to three inches of rain overnight. We know that because we left our cooking pots out, 
and they filled with two to three inches of rain. It was unbelievable. Well, what that meant was the next morning when it was time to hike out, this creek was more of a rushing torrent, and we had to figure out how to get across it. And then we looked over where we crossed, and our three boys and the boy from the other family were working on a creek crossing project, finding logs and rocks, whatever they could find to build up a crossing to get all 12 of us, well, plus the dog, <laughs> back across that creek. It's funny because one of our boys is taking an engineering class right now, but this bridge had absolutely zero elements of engineering <laughs> built into it. It was just a pile of logs, and it was awesome because all of us were able to make it across on that little log bridge. So we had some wonderful moments on this trip, but it wasn't all 100% rosy. First of all, this was a trip that got cut short by a full day because of the rain. We were just soaked and had to come out on day two instead of day three. The other tough element of this trip was our eight-year-old's backpack. He was really excited to try out his new Deuter Fox pack. And it's great. It fits him really well. But when we did pack inspection the night before the trip, his pack weighed 25 pounds. I don't know. What does he weigh? 75? Maybe. <laughs> If he's wet, which he yeah. was on this trip. <laughs> and so it was just way too much for an eight-year-old. Yeah, We cut it down to about 20 pounds, and that was still too much. All he's ever carried in the past has maybe been about 12 pounds. So as a result, the two of us did a lot of carrying that extra pack. Either we would stick it on top of one of our packs, or we even got the two-person carry going, where I would hold one end of the pack, the top end, and Heather would hold the bottom end of the pack, you know, kind of like a stretcher style as we walked down the trail. We were kind of trying to figure out, how does an eight-year-old pack 20 pounds worth of stuff? And so, yeah, when we did the pack inspection, we were pulling out, like, pulled out, I think, five pair of pants and lots and lots of other interesting and very relevant gear, but like multiples of things, you know, uh, you just wanted to be very prepared. And another thing that we did differently with this trip was we had all of the kids carry their own food. And because we knew it would be a little bit cooler and we'd be staying for multiple days, that was the plan, we made sure to really bulk up the calories, especially since our last trip. I didn't pack enough food, and so we did not want to be hungry on this trip. We wanted to have plenty of food. And so that kind of bumped up his pack weight as well. But 20 pounds, that was too much. And I think next time we'll be a little bit more aggressive with getting his pack weight down to a manageable weight. The lesson for me was if you give an 8-year-old 10 or 12 pounds, he can probably carry it for the entire trip. And if you have to take the other eight pounds, that's fine. You can put it inside your own pack and you'll be okay. But if you give an eight-year-old 20 pounds, he's only going to carry it about a mile. And that means that you get to carry not just the extra eight pounds, but the whole 20 pounds for several miles. And it's, it's too late. It's not inside of your own pack. You're carrying it with your arms or you're sticking it up on top or behind your pack. It's just awkward. I That's think, what I learned. Oh, totally. That was a very important lesson to learn. Yeah, that it's better to give them too little to carry and you compensate by carrying the rest of it than to give them the full weight and you carry the pack in an awkward way. Yeah, I 100% agree. 
In the intro to today's episode, you said, usually your pack is lighter on the way home, but not on our most recent trip. And we'll tell you why. Oh, my goodness. Well, we decided to leave a day early because it was nonstop rain and everyone by breakfast was pretty much soaked. And so we packed up our tents wet and just shoved them in our packs and didn't really worry about, uh, you know, who brought what. We just shoved everything into our packs and uh, hiked with about, it felt like an extra two pounds because the water soaked through everything. So anyway, that was how we got an extra few pounds on the way home. But in spite of challenges, not just the pack, but the rain, the incessant <laughs> rain of this trip, you know, the kids had amazing positive attitudes from beginning to end. All of the kids, their four kids and our four kids. It was incredible. We got to hear their stories after the trip because like we said, they were usually miles ahead of us yeah. on the trail the entire time. And we heard stories about how they, you know, scrambled up rock faces or scree slopes or snowballs. Oh, yeah, snowball fights. When we came into our camp, one of our kids was already fishing. I mean, it was just like they were nonstop active, exploring, and they came home with stories to tell. In fact, when we came into the parking lot, when we hiked out, um, the kids had been sitting in the car for maybe... They said two and a half hours. I think it was an hour. Okay. Um, but they had they had found this 80s rock station and had turned it up and the, like the van was shaking and they were like all rocking out to it. And it was really fun to come back to seeing all eight kids just having a great time, kind of keeping the party going. <laughs> and that's so cool that you could be out in this really inclement weather be soaked to the bone, you know, all of them, heavy packs with all this extra water. It was dark. And yet, in spite of all of that, they had figured out that they were in control of their attitude and they were having a great time. And the adults did a pretty good job, too. I think we were kind of spread out for most of the time. And of course, we were carrying an extra 20 pounds. But I think we found little moments that were just treasures on this trip, and that made it worth it. Even though cleanup after the trip was a beast, and it took us about two weeks to get everything finally put away after that trip, but it was definitely a trip worth taking, and the memorable moments totally outweigh any of the discomforts or challenges that happened on that trip. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Climate Hammock V. With hammock camping, you have a few options for insulation beneath you. And the reason you need insulation is because wind will just cut through your hammock and freeze your little backside off. So a lot of people use an underquilt, and that's like a huge sleeping bag. It kind of cinches up underneath your hammock. You can also just use a traditional sleeping pad inside of your hammock, and that works mostly. It kind of is not quite wide enough to keep your backside and your knees warm and insulated. But we have a third option for you, which I think is fantastic. Climate has come out with an air mattress that fits inside of a hammock, but that gives you the complete coverage of an underquilt. So it's made of 20 denier polyester, and unlike your sleeping pad, the Hammock V has no slip zones on it, so this pad is not going to shift around in your hammock 
Also, your sleeping bag won't shift around on top of this pad. The hammock V is nice and wide, plus it has these side rail wings that kind of go up onto the side of the hammock, and they keep the hammock out of your face, which sometimes when you're sleeping in a hammock, like it just kind of presses up against your face. But this makes it so you can kind of have that, um, have more room in your hammock. It really does give you a lot more room because it pushes out the sides of the hammock. That's the biggest structural difference of the Climate Hammock V is that it's not just a long rectangle. It has those side wings. Another interesting element of this pad is that it has deep kind of divots or pockets in the pad. And so that allows your sleeping bag to actually kind of expand and fill in some of that insulation space. So it means that your sleeping bag can loft more, even though you're laying on top of it. You still get some of that insulative value of your sleeping bag. For utility, the Climate Hammock V inflates fully in about 15 to 20 breaths, has an R value of 1.6, which means it's probably best for summertime sleeping. It's not a really high R value. However, if you pair it with a little more insulation underneath you, then this could easily go with you on four season trips. And this pad is going to fit any hammock size, single or double wide. Double wide. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> it fits all hammock sizes. One of the trends that I've seen in inflatables is these flat valves. So instead of being like the traditional kiddie pool valve, these are flatter valves. They're wider and they make deflation and inflation so much easier. In fact, you can inflate it without any air coming out. So it's really great. And then to deflate it, you just push this little piece of plastic down and it deflates so quickly. And even though this pad is really designed to work in a hammock, it can also be taken to ground if you need to use it, um, like on a tent backpacking trip. For mass, the Climate Hammock V is 27 ounces or 765 grams. It packs up into a stuff sack that's about 8 inches long and 4 inches in diameter. Uh, when it's totally inflated, it's 78 inches long and 2.5 inches thick and 47 inches wide at the widest part, like where those wings are. So that's much wider, you know, when you include the wings than the typical sleeping pad that may only be 20 inches wide or maybe 24. For maintenance, the Hammock V includes a patch repair kit, which should go straight into your 10 essentials. And then to clean it, you'll just probably want to spot clean it. For investment, the Hammock V is $140 and it comes with the Climate Lifetime Warranty. For trial, our son tried this out. He's the hammock fanatic in our family. He's the one that's tried every hammock that we've brought home. And uh, he took one to scout camp. He shared them with his friends. He's kind of the uh, the, the hammock evangelist zealot <laughs> of the family. So he used this and had a really great experience. We took this out on our trip to the coast, and it was the pad that he used for that trip. And in my limited experience sleeping in a hammock, I really prefer using a pad over just sleeping without a pad, you know, just using an underquilt for insulation. Although I loved the warmth of the underquilt, but I loved the stability of the pad. I loved how it pushed the hammock walls away from my face. It gave more structure to the hammock, which I really liked that. So the Static Hammock V really kind of takes that experience to the next level by providing the no-slip feature on the pad, which is great because pads slip around like crazy in a hammock. 
And the other benefit of the hammock V is that you don't get cold spots from your knees or your backside hanging off of, you know, just a skinny little traditional pad. When Josh and I came back from the outdoor retailer show this summer, we noticed an explosion of hammocks on the show floor. And this was the only pad that we saw that was designed specifically for hammocks. And it has all the features that you'll need if you want that more structured hammock experience. This is a really well-designed pad that takes the traditional sleeping pad to the next level for your hammock experience. If you want to check out the Climate Hammock V, Climate is spelled K-L-Y-M-I-T, and we'll have the link in today's show notes at thefirst40miles.com slash 104. For today's backpack hack of the week, we have a tent stake stove. Now, if you don't bring a stove with you, it's okay because you can still cook something over the fire using your tent stakes. All you need are three tent stakes. Pound them into the ground so they're about maybe two inches apart and they form kind of a triangle. And then build a really small fire and put your pot on top. Now, the only downside to this stove is that it will make your pot super sooty or it will blacken your mug. But if you needed to have a stove to boil water or to cook something, this is a really simple way to go. Stocking Wolf said, Indian makes small fire, sits close. White man makes big fire, sits far away. This is the small fire approach. (laughs) Yeah, that'll work best with this little stove. I bet this hack would also work really well if you have those Esbit tablets, the little um, solid fuel tablets. I know they sell special stoves to go with those, but if you just had the tablets alone, you could use three of your tent stakes, pound them into the ground, stick a tablet in the middle, and light it on fire. Oh, definitely. And if you're trying to do leave no trace, you just want to have like a little metal tray to stick the tablets on. Yeah, that'd be great. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend Voltaire. He's mononymous, just like Madonna and Cher. (laughs) Wait, you just made a rhyme there. His real name's Francois-Marie Arouet, but Voltaire is so much more easy to say. And before we read this quote, I just want to point out that we made it through this entire episode today on U.S. Election Day (laughs) without making any references to walls or emails or, I I mean, we got to pat ourselves on the back. I don't know how we made it through. High five. (laughs) Well, I love this quote by Voltaire because it kind of sums up this election day. He said, men argue nature acts. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a recent backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Three, four, whoops. Do we have six again? We got six again. Our friend Joe. Yeah. See our friend Joe. I know, it sound fake, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we go little. from here? <laughs>